Dallas Wings Executive Greg Bibb is here. We have a lot to talk about on the court and off the court. Lockdown Women's Basketball starts now. Ogumba Wallet for the win. You are Locked On Women's Basketball. Your daily podcast on women's basketball. Well, hi, everyone, and happy Tuesday to you. I'm your host, Howard Magdal. I want to thank you for making Lockdown Women's Basketball your first listen every day. And we have been killing it all summer long. You guys have been showing up for us. Over 100,000 listeners each month, all season long. We are on pace to break our July mark here in August. Thank you for making us a critical part of your every day. And of course, it's not just me. It is the incredible team over at The Next, thenexthoops.com, where we have over 100 reported pieces on women's basketball every single month, a reporter in all 12 WNBA markets. Subscribe, $9 a month, $72 a year. Support the work that's being done there, thenexthoops.com. And there's been quite a bit of work being done about the Dallas Wings, who are a very intriguing team, of course, delighted that not only over at the next, where we have the great uh, Ari Graham, but also at the nine, where we've been running Maddie Segrist diaries every two weeks, uh, cataloging Maddie's rookie season with the Dallas Wings. But I have Greg Bibb here to talk about not just what's going on on the court with some clear success stories, but a really interesting partnership. And so here in segment one, Greg, before we get into it, I just want our listeners to have a sense of the partnership that was made with the Dallas Mavericks, because it's interesting what's in it. It's interesting what flexibility comes along with it. But there's a Jersey partnership. There's the ability to work together year round to make sure that the Mavs and the Wins are together on everything from player development right through to the way in which you guys are engaging with the community. So congratulations on this deal. Take me through, if you could, sort of what are the top lines of like, what were the most important parts of it in your view? First, Howard, thanks for having me. It's great to be back on Locked On. Uh, The partnership with the Mavericks is really um, a relationship that started pre-COVID. Sint Marshall, who is the CEO of the Mavericks, and I met in early March of 2020 to talk about how we could formalize relationship between our two organizations. Because at that time, the Mavericks were really starting to lean in on gender equity uh, type issues. Uh, and with being the WNBA team in town, Sint saw uh, natural synergy uh, between the two organizations, as did I. We had a fantastic launch conversation. And then about 10 days later, uh, the world was introduced to COVID-19 and the world stopped. Over the next couple of years, uh, our organizations uh, increased the frequency of doing one-off events together, uh, most of them community-focused, and most of them related to a program that the Mavericks launched called GEM, Girls Empowered by Mavericks. This past April, when the final women's final four was in Dallas, Sint and I found ourselves at a bunch of events together, and it really allowed us the opportunity to chat, and we committed to one another that we were going to re-engage in trying to formalize a relationship uh, that would be sustainable for years to come. Mm -hmm. Sint is a 
average and loyal wing season ticket holder. So that conversation continued into the start of the season at some early wings games. Uh, we got our leadership teams involved, which for the wings involved Amber Cox, our chief operating officer, and Amanda Fushi, who is our vice president of corporate partnerships. Those two took the lead for us. They did the heavy lifting along with Sense leadership team. And what resulted was a multi-year relationship that really at the end of the day is community focused and really um, the vision is to impact the community, specifically girls in North Texas, really extending the work that the Mavericks have already begun through their GEM program. For us, it's an opportunity to partner with a NBA team and to lean into a very big platform. For them, it's an opportunity to plug into the best women's basketball players in the planet mm -hmm. and to utilize our assets to help extend their GEM programming. It's truly going to be a one plus one equals far more than two relationship. And we're super excited about it. I am delighted uh, that you mentioned Amber and her team, you know, and Amber being an absolute superstar. And we're going to get into the ways in which to me, it's tangible, the impact that she's had as well. But again, I want to go back to your vision of it, because I think it's a really interesting arc that we've seen. Uh, over the years, there was a lot of tropes that frankly aren't uh, even accurate about the NBA and the WNBA and the relationship there. We've seen, though, over these past few years, this obviously exponential growth in the value, the understanding of the value of a WNBA franchise. And I, I wonder, as you kind of think it long term, whether these types of partnerships, right, this is short of there's co-ownership. This is significantly shorter. This is co-ownership between these two organizations. There are organizations that have overlap and there are organizational principles that are different. There are goals that are different. Does this strike you as a really effective model for the way in which when they're in the same town, NBA and WNBA teams ought to be thinking about working together? I hope so. Uh, and listen, this, this did not happen overnight. Like I mentioned, the first conversation between Sint and I was in March of 2020. Uh, and obviously, Wings, <clears throat> excuse me, have been in market since late 2015, first season 2016. Here we are in August of 2023. So uh, by no means was this an overnight process, but I think we had the ingredients for something special in that we had an NBA team, an NBA team leadership that sees the value in the WNBA mm -hmm. and understands what the WNBA is all about and really what the, D the DNA of a WNBA team happens to be. Uh, and for us, you know, it's not hard to see the value of an NBA team, the profile, the platform that they present. And when you have people like Sint Marshall and her leadership team running the show for an NBA uh, franchise, it, it's, it's pretty easy to see how you can create synergy and opportunity together. And, you know, hopefully we can be, uh, an inspiration or a model for other markets where there is not a co-ownership situation. I think that what the Mavs and the Wings have done is the biggest, largest, deepest, widest partnership ever between a non-affiliated NBA and WNBA team. And someone has to be first, and it just happens to be us in this case. And hopefully we can be a model for others. You talked about Jen Fushi also, who, who was a superstar as well. And it's interesting to me, and, and you can speak to this in, in a way I think that's really interesting. The conversation with Sint predates Amber arriving in town, Jen arriving in town. How much, when you're talking to the two of them, are you talking about 
ways in which to incorporate this type of partnership. And, 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 and I say that, and, and our listeners should understand that in both cases, you're talking about folks who have been in markets where there were WNBA, NBA co-owned teams, you know, Amber Dad, and Phoenix, but also even just the overlap between literally a WNBA team and a lacrosse team, uh, you, you know, to be able to have that specific level of expertise. Um, I'm just wondering how that all came together. Well, we're fortunate that we have not one, but two Fushis. We have Jen, who is our vice president of ticket sales and service. Right. Then we have her wife, Amanda, who is our vice president of corporate partnerships. All three, those two, along with Amber, have been involved in the the formation of this formalized partnership. But really, Amber and Amanda took the lead. And it really didn't take much on my part because really it was conceptual with Sint and I. Mm-hmm. And then Amber and Amanda on our team and then folks on Sense team were the ones who really articulated the elements and the assets involved and the strategy involved in what the partnership became. So really wasn't anything I did. The heavy lifting was done by Amber, Amanda and others within our front office, LaDondra Wilson, who yeah. is our VP of social responsibility, uh, has also had a longstanding relationship with the Mavericks and with this being so community focused, she too plays a role here. So, you know, Sint and I, like a lot of times get to take credit for things that really uh, the work was done by others. The bottom line with what you want this to be, and, and we'll talk more about this in segment two, because I think it's so interesting how forward facing it is, but can this provide the kind of roots that I know, and we've talked about this for years, the roots that you want the Dallas Wings to have in this community over time. Obviously you can think about the arc of the franchise and this is a franchise that's moved around over the period of time in WNBA history. Does it feel like that is sort of a critical central part to what you're looking for here? Yeah, I think it's just additional roots that can, that can take root for us in the marketplace. And, you know, really this, there's obviously a financial component component that helps the team business but really what this allows us to do, first and foremost, it allows us to reinvest, pour into the community, uh, extend what we're doing there. But it also is really impactful for our players at a time when more and more players are staying home in the offseason, at least for part of it. Here's another outlet for them. We've already had Wings players doing internships with the Mavericks in our offseason. Uh, Isabel Harrison, for example, did one a couple of years ago. Um, we will continue that now in a more formal way as part of this overall partnership between the Mavs. So really it's about community and it's about player investment for us. And the Mavs are another vehicle for that. It's really interesting. And again, the impact on and off the court is something I'm eager to talk about. We're going to get into in just a minute in segment two, just first, want to tell the good people at home about FanDuel and football season is about to kick off. FanDuel is giving you the chance to win all season long. Great. I, I don't know if there's, uh, is there a football team in Dallas? I've mostly been focused on the wins. Um, I I think there I might be. Sure there may be one about a mile down the road. I'll have to look into that. Um, but FanDuel is giving everyone the chance when you bet on a Super Bowl winner to get Bonus bets every time that team wins in the regular season. So you pick any team to win the Super Bowl and you get bonus bets for every victory. You can use your bonus bets on spreads, player props, over-unders, and more. You just visit FanDuel.com slash LockedOn. That's FanDuel.com slash L-O-C-K-E-D-O-N and start earning bonus bets with America's number one sportsbook. 
That's FanDuel.com slash locked on. So when we think about Dallas on and off the court, to me, they go hand in hand. And so I just want to, you know, throw out some numbers uh, for us as a sense, you know, to kind of frame where we are. Season one, uh, you guys averaged 5297 uh, fans per game in, you know, in 2016. Uh, there's been some time down from that number. I, I think attendance numbers are really tricky to try and parse over this last period of a couple of years, uh, simply because, as you, you know, everything got thrown up in the air. But it's notable to me that you guys are right there. And, and season one is also never a great indicator of where things ought to be. But uh, you are just a couple of hundred per game shy of that. You're 46.92 coming into the stretch run where presumably you can expect, especially with the way the team is playing, for that number to go up uh, fairly considerably. That's before you even get to the playoffs. And I frame it that way because I'm curious when you think about where this team ought to be to be financially where you want it to go, what does average attendance look like? What are the other metrics that you're seeing? And, you know, how are you guys along on that road to where you want to get to? Well, Howard, I think we here in Dallas are representative of what's happening across the WNBA and women's sports in general. We're fortunate that we're in a, a boom era. Um, someone who's been involved in the WNBA since 2007 you know, we are meeting and exceeding wildest dreams from way back then. Uh, we're up about 30 percent uh, in, in ticket revenue this year. Uh, we will set a record for overall revenue this year. Um, never before has there been more interest and engagement uh, in, in the Dallas Wings than today. Um, any metric you want to look at basically is green and the arrow is pointing up, which we're fortunate for. Our building holds 6,251. So when you average 4,600, uh, it feels good every night. We've sold out a couple of games this year, which we hadn't done before. Uh, there's a magic to College Park Center in that it's a basketball-specific building, so it's very tight. Uh, and as a fan, you feel like you're on top of the court. There's not a bad seat in the building. The roof is also relatively low, and it's metal, so the sound really bounces. Uh, you put 5,000 people in College Park Center, I'll put the environment up against anything, anywhere, anytime. Uh, and that's created a true home court advantage for us. Our players talk about it. Uh, you can feel it. Uh, the energy is palpable. Um, so we love playing at College Park Center. And listen, these businesses take time. Um, and it's taken time here. Um, but for uh, a variety of reasons, um, things have never been better. Uh, and the future has never been brighter. The thing that I appreciate, respect, and understand that the wins have seen throughout is just that, that the timeline has to be. It's not a one- to three-year timeline. It's not a we're going to turn around and look and make sure that every dollar in is dollar out and, you know, evaluating in that way. And for whatever reason, we did, that's, you know, a series of shows, women's sports has always been treated in a different way like that, you know, as somebody who covered the Brooklyn Nets and saw that in year one and two, things were not uh, attendance wise where they wanted them to go. And just this understanding that, you know, these things take time. And you're seeing that, I think, on the court as well. It takes time to get it right. And so 
those two things interact to me in a way that offers a real opportunity for the wins here in the coming weeks. And so let's talk about it in turn, right? You're talking about having, you know, 5,000 people in that building, having home court advantage. This is a team that is in a very good position right now to be a potential top four finish. We've talked to Latricia Trammell about it, who, you know, to my mind has done an exceptional job here in year one. And this has been a team goal. Does it feel to you like you talked about the green arrows and arrows pointing up, like the on the court is that green arrow pointing up the way you were looking for it to be when you made the changes you did this past offseason? I think so. I mean, I, there's a lot of work to be done. We really haven't done anything yet. Um, but as you mentioned, the trajectory uh, is positive at this point. We are, as we speak today, uh, sitting fourth, uh, one and a half game lead over the fifth place team, two game lead over uh, six and seven, four game lead over the two teams tied for eighth. But hey, who's keeping track of these things? <laughs> Um, so we have 10 games to play. I mean, there is, as it always seems to be in the WNBA, there is a, uh, a very condensed, um, um, standings, if you will. Right. Uh, and who knows where we end up. Um, but, um, of our list of priorities coming into this season, I think we've talked about this before. Number one on the list was to finish in a top four position to obtain home court in the first round of the playoffs. So as we sit here with 10 to go, three quarters of the season done, that's where we've positioned ourselves. Um, and now we'll see what we do here over the next 10 games. But really, the ball literally and figuratively is in our court to achieve priority number one in the regular season. It's true. And, and again, those two things to my mind can't be separated, right? Success on the court in terms of those moments where you grab people, you keep them for life. How many people have we talked to through the years who, you know, they, they were in Minnesota when the Lynch win a championship and suddenly they're Lynch season ticket holders. They're not just showing up for a game or two. And, and it's two things. It's who is doing it and it's how they're playing. And so I want to take each in, in turn. I want to start with the how you're playing. And I, we've, we've talked about this, right? This idea that you brought in Tierra McCowan, uh, big, and you've got Kalani Brown now playing big minutes as well. And the, I, I, well, how do you dovetail that with playing fast? Well, Tierra McCowan's at 26 minutes per game, a shade below. You guys are third in the lead in pace. How satisfying is it to be able to see sort of that vision come to fruition for you guys? There is nothing more satisfying than watching a big post run the court, rim to rim, and get an easy bucket off a, uh, off a long pass from a guard. Uh, there's simply nothing better. And to watch Kalani do that this year and to watch Tierra do that this year, uh, there's like music that plays around me when I see that. Uh, and I've been so happy with the way Tierra's played um, because I have long believed, long before she actually put on a WNBA jersey, she had an opportunity to be one of the true impactful players of her time. Uh, I think it's all there for her. Uh, she just needs to go get it. And, and for Kalani, uh, who, you know, has struggled candidly to stay in the league. Uh, she recommitted herself in many ways this offseason. Uh, I was fortunate to be paying attention uh, and seeing what she was doing overseas and seeing how she transformed herself physically and mentally. Uh, and to see her come in now and have sustained success and be a true part uh, of our success has been really gratifying. 
so it's been good to see. And, and to your point, you know, it's a virtuous, virtuous cycle. Uh, the team plays well. Um, that impacts the business. Um, you have to have talent on the court to play well, to impact the business. But then you have to have talent in the business, on the business side in the front office to capitalize on that opportunity. Um, and we're fortunate now that I feel like we have uh, gotten to a point where we have top-end talent both on the basketball operations side of our business and on the business side of our business. And I think what we've seen in terms of our success in growing our, our ticket base uh, is a direct result of that, having the Amber Coxes and the Jen Fushis of the world that can capitalize on what we're seeing on the court. No doubt, Fushi Squared and Amber are as big an addition as we, as I can imagine. It's great to see. I will just say, and, and we'll leave the Tierra McCowan conversation here, which is to say the following. She is, we've talked about this, such an efficient player, all time, all time in true shooting percentage in the history of the league. She is 16th. She is 16th in the history of the league. She is just below Brianna Stewart, a little bit ahead of uh, Diana Tarazi. I, I think she yeah. did something big recently, if memory serves. But 16th in the history of this league is mind-boggling. And then just, I, I, I think we'll have time. I need to read the list of players who have a higher rebound percentage in the history of the league than Tierra McCowan. I'm going to go ahead and read it. And we're done. She is number one all time. I assume you know this, Greg. I know your numbers kind of like me, but for our listeners, that's the level of player we're talking about with Sierra McCallum. So as, as we've discussed, I, I am a big Sierra McCallum believer. I am delighted to see it. Uh, we're going to be right back to talk about Satu uh, and, and also to Arike, um, because very important part of this story in just a sec. So let's talk Satu first, because I'm not sure there's a more important development, forget Dallas, a more important development in the league than seeing that Satu has become a, whatever number you want to put on it, a top 10 player, a top five player. She's in my MVP ballot conversation that I'm having with myself every day as I'm trying to figure it out. And so from that perspective, I know health is one, right? Health is number one, and and maybe that's everything. But what else are you seeing, and how does it connect with your player development program that has allowed her to become this caliber of player, the the talent we always knew was there, but are now seeing it unlocked? So, as our public address announcer says during player introductions every night at College Park Center, the six four unicorn. I just think that's a great line, but. Um, you know, I think health and confidence are tied together. It's hard to have confidence if you're not healthy because it's hard to play to your ability if you're not healthy. And she has had, up until this season, a tremendous run of misfortune in terms of her health and just couldn't get sustained health. This is the best league in the world, right? bar none. There's 144 jobs, the best 144 on the planet, a little less than that, actually, if you look at rosters. Um, so... The, the talent is so condensed and so high level that everyone has to be at the very best or they're not going to be able to perform. And she just hasn't been healthy. This year, she changed up her process around what is our off season and what is her overseas season, uh, i.e. took some time off. Uh, and I think that allowed her to get healthy and stay healthy. And she came into camp this year 100%. And she came into camp 
basically on time and had a full training camp to ramp up. Um, so that's number one, health and tied to health. Number one A is confidence, and she is playing at a different level. And then I think coaching. I think Latricia has been a really good fit for her. Uh, I think Latricia has kind of taken the reins off and allowed Asatu to play more freely, uh, which is really leaning into Satu's strengths because of her versatility and her ability to do so many different things in so many different ways on the court. So I think there are a lot of reasons, um, but I think health, confidence, and coaching probably are the three main reasons that, in my mind, she is the most improved player in the league without question, uh, and I think she's an all-WNBA player uh, under consideration for sure as well. Absolutely. I, I'm hard-pressed to imagine she's not ending up on, on my first team uh, when it comes to it. Just so impressed with what she's done. And so to kind of bring that full circle with the team-building aspect of it, and, and even the way this impacts the business, right? Arite at 26, Satu at 26, you know, you, you got the extension with Arite done, and that obviously is significant. Satu, I would presume, is – uh, you know, kind of job one for you guys this coming off season. Would that be fair to say? I think that's fair to say. And so you think about that team all together with Tierra in her age 26 season. And suddenly we're talking about the thing that you and I have talked about, uh, frankly, on previous programs here, right? The success cycle. And you've now got this core in their prime seasons to go along with Natasha Howard, a little bit older, but providing that kind of veteran leadership. And I know from talking to your players that Tasha is such a big presence for them day to day. Does it feel as if, and that's a whole other conversation where the stops and starts and, and the reasons why, but does it feel as if you've got this team where you wanted it to go ahead of obviously a season ahead where you're going to also be incorporating some rookies, even some who haven't even yet uh, to play this year. And Lou Lopez Seneschal, for instance. Yeah. So um, success is never a straight line mm -hmm. and it takes time. We've talked about this multiple times in the past. Yeah. We made it, I made a decision four years ago that we were going to basically start from ground zero and rebuild. And it was going to be done largely through draft assets uh, and that just, there's no, there's no quick fix. There's no end around through that process. Uh, and there's pain to be endured and we certainly have endured the pain. Um, but yes, I think now, uh, the window is open for us. We still haven't done anything. Uh, we sit here today, two games over 504th place. So that's great. Those are our high water marks for us, but mm -hmm. really at the end of the day, history is not going to judge us favorably for finishing two games over four, 500 and finishing fourth. You know, mm -hmm. there's much, much, much more to do. But as I tell the team now all the time, I feel like outcomes of the game are more about us than they are about who we're playing. In the past, I don't think the talent was there for us that if we played against a team that played their best, we were necessarily going to win. Now I feel like we have enough talent that if we play our best basketball, we have a legitimate shot to beat anybody. And we've shown that this year. Correct. We've beaten one, we've beaten two, and we've beaten three. Now we've also continued to display the inconsistency that has plagued us in the past where we've lost some games candidly we shouldn't have lost. Mm -hmm. But it's there now. The talent's there. And it's, it's, for the most part, a young core of talent that we can keep together, as I've been talking about for a long time, mm -hmm. for a relatively long amount of time. So I'm still crazy. I 
I still may not know what I'm talking about, but maybe just a little less crazy uh, than before. Understood. And, and again, that one, two, three, like, the fact that you guys win that, I, you see it so much of the time in scouting circles, right? Before somebody has it as a skill, you're seeing, oh, well, they flash the ability to have that skill. Do you feel like you have flashed what will be your expectation, let's say, even going into 2024 of, all right, the consistency is the next level, or do you feel like this is something you expect to see by the playoffs? Yeah, the hope is that the time is now. I mean, you know, the WNBA is so much about health uh, it, it, when you hit the playoffs and who's playing well. Um, so we have 10 games to stay healthy uh, and to really get back to how we were playing, you know, last month. Um, and I, I think we're going to be on the right track by the time we get to the you know, beginning of September. Uh, but, you know, the good news is there's still upside, not only upside with what we're putting out on a roster on the court today, but upside in terms of assets. And you referenced, you know, the fact that Lou Lopez Seneschal hasn't played yet. And we've been deliberate in making sure we're patient with her, yeah. getting her a hundred percent. And whether that's this year or next year, when she steps on the court in a game that counts, she's a hundred percent because she is for my money, still one of the best pure shooters in the game. And we haven't had her take a shot yet. Stephanie Suarez, we traded uh, for the number four overall pick in the draft. She is doing great in rehab, and we expect to have her next year. She hasn't played a game for us yet. So those two assets are already in the pipeline that we can count on adding next year. But we also, you know, it wouldn't be a draft without having some draft assets uh, heading into next year. Uh, and we have some draft assets. And, you know, depending on how the rest of the season shakes out, those could be really exciting, too. Very true. Um, so I feel like we have the core. We've added some important pieces like uh, Natasha Howard to help us learn how to do this along the way. Uh, Crystal Dangerfield as well. Uh, and then obviously Latricia has been a difference maker. But we have more, um, you know, more arrows in the quiver, if you will, uh, that we'll be able to lean into uh, heading into next year and beyond. Not to mention, of course, we have to talk about Poughkeepsie's own Maddie Segrist and the fact that she is shooting 60, 50, 100 over the last six games. Well, again, not to get too far into the weeds on numbers, uh, but take a look at her player efficiency rating and where that is. And one of the hallmarks of, of Maddie and what really sold me on her during her college career, and now we're really getting into the weeds, but her uh, assist to turnover uh, percentage. Okay. Uh, take a look at that number and where she ranks in the WNBA right now. So granted, small sample sizes, uh, and there's been some phenomenal rookie play around the league this year mm -hmm. uh, that deservedly gets all the hype and all the attention and all the headlines because there are some great young players. Um, but I'm still betting on Maddie Seacrest becoming an impact player in this league, and nothing I've seen this year has changed my mind. It's, it's a crazy number, 6.9% as a turnover percentage, as a rookie, as yeah. you're making decisions in a league that's sped up. So, uh, yes, we – we are, as you know, both believers in Maddie Seaver's future. And again, even just to tie it to what, what Latricia Trammell does, the fact that Maddie was not playing a lot early and she had her bought in and had her going. And I know part of that's Maddie's makeup, but part of that is a coach making sure everyone is bought in. It's really significant. It's something uh, that I think speaks volumes about who uh, Coach Trammell is as well. So very interested to see what is ahead. Uh, Greg, always 
great to chat with you and uh, thank you on behalf of our listeners. Uh, to our listeners, make sure you're back with us tomorrow. Lexi Hull uh, is going to be joining us from the Indiana Fever, who's having a breakthrough season. It's good to see that. And great to catch up with Lexi. Uh, until then, I am Howard Meddahl, wishing all of you a wonderful Tuesday. Welcome to Wallet. For the win. You are Locked On Women's Basketball, your daily podcast on women's basketball.